Hello and welcome back to another episode of the NEDPRO podcast. My name is James Bradfield. I'm one of the members of our Global Innovation Panel. And on today's show, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by a number of people working for and alongside Malden District Council. Um, This includes their partner organisations such as the Salvation Army and uh, the Malden District Council Volunteer Service. So this conversation was actually organised by Emily Fallon who is a member of our Global Innovation Panel, a colleague of mine here at NEDPRO. And I got to sit down and speak with um, each of the people on this this call about the issues that they've been facing of late uh, with the coronavirus crisis, as well as some of the public health interventions and programmes that they've been involved with. So generally got the chance to talk about some of the efforts uh, that they're making to help people during the, the crisis to improve lives and importantly as ever with a, a bit of a focus on nutrition programs and, and food deliveries as well. So it's a very varied conversation with people from very different backgrounds and, and disciplines and everything else so I hope that you'll enjoy it. I hope you learn something as I know I certainly did. Okay, so without further ado, we'll we'll get started. So I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by a number of people who are, I think, making a big difference during um, all the ongoing crises and all the difficulties that are being faced in the community. So um, we have Emily, we've got Ben, Sarah and John on the call uh, this afternoon. So um, I could introduce you, but you'll probably all do a far better job of introducing yourselves. So um, maybe, Emily, starting with you, would you want to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself and your role, perhaps? Yeah, of course. Thanks, James. And thanks for taking the time to speak with us all today. I'm Emily Fallon. I'm a health improvement officer at Morden District Council and an associate nutritionist um, by background. I'm part of the NEDPRO Global Innovation Panel and have worked alongside James for the last couple of years. I'm very interested in public health improvement and the wider determinants of health, food insecurity and healthy lifestyles. And this has been great um, to be part of this response and wider work throughout the coronavirus so far. So it'd be good to discuss how we've been involved alongside my colleagues shortly. Fab. Um, Sarah, would you like to go next? Hi, I'm Sarah Troop. I'm the... um... Director of Morden District Community Voluntary Service. We're an infrastructure charity. So in normal business, we are concerned with supporting the voluntary sector in our district, in the district of Morden, um, giving them advice, funding support, governance advice, things like that. We're also very focused on community activity um, and community resilience. So when um, COVID hit, we sort of very naturally started working more around community resilience and community action. And so we've had quite a strong role in um, delivering the community response. Fantastic. So really interesting to see how COVID changed your role um, or or your your group's role a little bit or the focus um, very early on. So, um, John, would you like to go next and give a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Yeah, I'm Lieutenant John Doyle. I'm the commanding officer of the Salvation Army here in Malden. And I kind of wear two hats. Uh, I have the one side of my role where I'm the church minister for the Salvation Army in Malden. And then I have the uh, hat that I look after that most of you probably are aware of with this charity side of the Salvation Army. And so we're concerned with um, assisting the most poor in our society, those who are marginalised and those who are at risk of various different issues. And so the Salvation Army in the charity side is being very involved in the coronavirus response here in Malden. 
Fantastic, I can imagine. And uh, last but last, not least, Ben, would you like to give uh, an introduction to yourself? Yeah, hi, James. Um, yeah, so thank you. My name is Ben Page. I work for Malvern District Council as um, strategic theme lead community. And prior to COVID, I had um, strategic responsibility for areas such as um, housing, community safety, health and wellbeing, um, community engagement. But um, now, currently, during coronavirus, I have um, responsibility for sort of the project management, program management of council services and our response as a council and working with partners um, in terms of coronavirus. So it will cover anything from um, project management to um, asset management um, within this response. Fantastic. So I suppose that that, that gives um, listeners hopefully a really good idea, at least, of the, the types of people we have, but also the, the, the things that you are all involved in and I'm sure we can we can delve um, more into that so um, Sarah I might actually start with you based on on what you've you've all said so you mentioned for example that um you're very involved you know the, the role of your um, your own role has has changed a little bit in in recent times with um, more of a focus now on sort of community activity and things like that could you give us a, a sort of broad picture of the sorts of activities that you're involved in at the moment um maybe how that's changed in covid and and i suppose anything that is um particularly to do with i suppose food and nutrition and those kind of things as well yeah absolutely so when we got to yeah when it started appearing on the horizon the corona outbreak um the more the cvs pretty much down tools in terms of its normal day-to-day business um, and pulled together a community meeting. Uh, one of the benefits of the CVS generally is that we are quite well linked into the community. So we have a membership database of around 130 different voluntary sector groups, but we also work with things like the CCG, the local authorities and other strategic partners. So we have a good oversight of what's going on. So when we started thinking, actually, we are gonna to have to start responding to this, the first thing we did as an organisation was pull everybody together and say, what are we going to do together? And people came to the table with their various strengths. So this has very much been about playing to community assets. So rather than us as an organisation saying, we're going to take this on and we're going to deliver it, what we've done is facilitated people to shine and do what they know how to do well. So, for example, John will tell you about how the Salvation Army have used their resources to be able to and bring in food support to people. But we're also working with the CAB with their advice around finance, which has obviously been a concern for some people. We've got the food pantry linked in as well. Um, action for family care is supporting families. You know, the list goes on and on around all the different partners who are bringing basically wraparound support to the community to ensure we're looking after their well-being, not just meeting their basic needs. So the basic needs being food and medication, but there's so much more that people need that we're also bringing it to the table. So prior to COVID, we would be facilitating those networks keeping the voluntary sector informed, representing them at strategic tables and just working to as far as we could to keep the modern voluntary sector thriving, active um, and to start supporting um, volunteers in the community to find roles that are right for them, find, help local people get involved in their community. So what we're doing now, it isn't a million miles away, it's just massively under a microscope. You know, so so where we would be really pushing to try to organise people and say, can you help someone in your local community? People are now coming to us. We've recruited 300 people um, to be part of the response in the, in just sort of six weeks. 
um, and taking them all through a verification process. So we've been working to make sure that safeguarding is maintained, mm. that risk assessments are maintained, that everybody knows what they should do to stay safe and to support people safely. The government guidance is, is cascaded because the community well-being, the, the goodwill in the community is absolutely amazing. It's outstanding. People putting their hands up saying, I will help. But we don't want anyone putting themselves or anyone else at risk. And that's kind of the boring bit. <laughs> Making sure all of that is in place and people understand that. In business as usual, I used to refer to myself quite often when I was giving community group, group advice as the prophet of doom. Because I'm always okay. the person in the room saying and what happens when it goes wrong have you thought about yeah. what happens and this happens and what happens when you think about that but that's what voluntary sector infrastructure does mm. it takes people's goodwill and motivation and it takes the boring bits like the risk assessments and the insurance and the good practice guidance and the strategy and it does that for them so they can get on with doing the bits that they want to do the, the, the making a difference and that's mm. what infrastructure organisations do daily. And that's what infrastructure organisations up and down the country are doing now. They're making sure the right support gets the right people in the right way. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's a really interesting way of, of putting it that, that you, you almost do the, um, I know I, I, I'll use your own quote because I don't want to sound um, disparaging about it, but the boring bit, you know, and the bit that really, I suppose, all the massive um, recruitment for volunteers and all the great work being done by various organizations up and down the country like you say just because we're in a crisis it still has to be done the right way and it still has to be done in such a way that people aren't putting themselves or other people at risk um, or you know you mentioned screening and sort of um, uh, making sure that these all these new recruits I'm sure everyone coming with recruitment is coming with uh, sorry, being recruiting as a as a volunteer, I'm sure they're coming with the best of intentions. But from a, I suppose, what do we say, an infrastructure point of view, um, obviously you need to make sure that that everyone is coming with the right ideas and that kind of thing as well. So it's abs it, that's absolutely right. When when in the early days of coronavirus and and people jumping up and doing their community response elements, we started hearing risk of fraud. Um, and people okay. turning up on people's doorsteps saying, I'm, I'm come here to do your shopping for you. Can I take your credit card? And off they okay. would go with that person's credit card. And that would be the last people saw them. And our duty as the coronavirus response team is to ensure that that doesn't happen, that people aren't at risk of fraud and they aren't um, identified as being vulnerable in the community. And, and to ensure that people still have dignity, choice and control during this process. We don't want to create dependencies. We don't want to take away people's independence. We don't want to take away their dignity we just want to support and we want to support safely and we want yeah. to make sure that any volunteer who's saying i will help knows what social distancing means in reality in terms of their volunteering and what social distancing means in terms of them staying safe use mm. of ppe good hygiene we don't want a volunteer to put their hand up and say i'll do that and then put themselves in a situation where they may be at risk we want them to say i'll do that and then we'll say right okay well you need to be washing your hands you need to maintain social distancing this process is in place for this this person's trained to do that so don't you do it yeah and make sure that they're, they're supported and confident and that the bit that they're doing is a bit they're comfortable with i mean that even stretches to telephone befriending and things like that so we're mm. working with an organization called essex befriends to do the majority of our telephone befriending um, requests because that is what they do in 
in business as normal. Um, and where lots of people are saying, oh, I'd love to just chat on the phone to somebody. Uh, well, actually, we've got an organisation that already does that. So let's build capacity there. They've already got all their yeah. strategies and risk in place. So let's build capacity there. But for the other bits and pieces, like the call handling, the safe and well checks, um, even knocking on somebody's door and just you know, dropping a food parcel, somebody might see something that that is not usual to them. They're working with people who are vulnerable or, or in deprivation, and that can be difficult sometimes. You know, if you're used to living at a certain standard, and I'm not making this with any judgment, and you go to somebody to drop a parcel, or you speak to somebody who is very vulnerable or very isolated or struggling, that might be quite a shock. Yeah, absolutely. As as soon as you step into somebody else's home, I suppose, or, or at least see their own home or their own surroundings and environment, if it's any way different to yours. We need to make sure that they know who they can speak to about that, mm. that they don't, that they know where their boundary starts and stops, because people may knock on a door and say, do you know what, I want to fix this, I want to make it better. Yeah. which is an absolute natural reaction. And of course, everyone will. But we are delivering a service right now to support people who are shielded or self-isolated with their basic needs um, and, their, and their well-being needs. We are not solving long-term issues. There are charities and support services available in the community that already do that. So all we need from people who go to places and identify these issues is for it to be fed back. And people need to be comfortable that when they feed back, it is being taken seriously and it's been picked up and it is being dealt with so that they don't feel that they have to go above and beyond and put themselves at risk or start dealing with something that they're not equipped and trained to deal with. So this, it's, it is the boring bits because people want to just do good and they want to be out there and they want to do it but we want them to be doing it safely and we want them to be supported while they do it um, I, and I said you know sometimes in my big day-to-day business all I see is the problems and the issues and the things that go wrong and I don't actually get to see the bit that John will see which is all the positive feedback and the and the stuff where people uh, there's no problems and everything's nice and we're making an impact I see Oh, there's this issue that we've identified. I've seen this issue because yeah. that's right when it come to me. It should all all of the complications and the complex needs and the difficulties should be taken away from the people at the front line and given to the professionals who are there day in, day out. So it's absolutely right that that's all I see. But sometimes yeah. today, for example, I um, got a letter in the post and it was a lady who'd received a pamper pack from us in, on VE Day apologizing for taking so long to write to us and John I think you've seen it as well and it was just such wonderful feedback she was so pleased and it was just lovely to read it because those little lights of um, feedback don't often make it to me I, I can imagine and I, I, I presume then that makes it even more special when they do that they, they're probably more impactful and, and everything but I suppose really if 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 I can kind of summarize it, you do sort of a lot of the groundwork then to allow people to go on and do um the the what what you said like the sort of front facing things and making sure that the people i suppose receiving the the benefit but also the people doing the volunteering or helping are themselves safe and are themselves um like you mentioned the p p e and um social distancing and everything and while people might be mad to help and rushing in and doing this and this and this i suppose in in a crisis it's ever more important to to do things the right way and to to make sure that systems are followed actually because they, they probably could be overlooked um quite quite easily as well 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's where voluntary sector infrastructure sits very comfortably for us to be able to take that on. Yeah. Um, and we have done and we're working, everyone in my team is working really, really hard behind the scenes to give everybody the support and the tools that they need to deliver. That's fantastic. And it, and it gives it gives um, the the various organizations volunteers and everything the chance to to deliver that so so john i might use that as a as a kind of segue into to speaking a little bit about the work that you're doing with the salvation army at the moment so um obviously emergency food packages and things are, are huge at the moment um can you give me an idea of sort of this the scale of what you're doing at the moment in terms of um i don't know how many people you're supporting or how many food packages and things are kind of going out at the moment like what's what's a normal kind well i suppose nothing is normal at the moment but what's a a, a typical day or week for for you at the moment if such a thing exists uh i haven't got the the exact figures on me and i think it's going to take a bit of time working with sarah and the database that we have before we can get um some nailed on figures that we can use okay but some back of the envelope calculations i was doing last week um, if we make an assumption that each food parcel we give out, it has roughly five days amount of food in for three meals a day, and that's for one person. Um, we've done somewhere in the region of between 12 and a half and 15,000 meals in the 10 weeks of lockdown so far. Uh, knowing that we have families and couples in that, that number's probably in excess of 20,000 meals that we've provided as a, a coronavirus response with the assistance from the people who've donated food, places like uh, Morrison's, but also the, um, the companies locally that we've been able to purchase from. The one that comes to mind is a, a small local store called Silo that um, were our first provider very early on. They were able to provide us with bulk quantities of dried food um, right at the beginning of March when we first needed them. Fantastic. So it's it's again, I suppose, um, kind of similar to what Sarah was saying about the local response. It's really lovely to see, obviously, that there's been a kind of a local response from. Um, you mentioned Morrison's, but also was it Silo? You said was the name of that that local. Silo, um, yes. So, fantastic so, um, store that's on Malton High Street. Fantastic. Can so, I just so, come in? Can I just come in on that and just say that we made a concerted effort um, as part of our purchasing for food parcels to support local where we could because the local economy is obviously being hit very hard and if if our response can include support to local businesses then we that was something we wanted to try to do absolutely and i think again that that's something that i think a lot of people have been conscious of whether it's you know small um companies and things reopening now in the last couple of weeks for you know coffee shops or anything just supporting local as much as possible which is which is i think always a good thing as well so um john John, what kind of things are actually in those parcels so for example you mentioned the the dry goods and you said i think that that each is a five day um five day parcel with three meals a day but what kinds of foods are in it and um is 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 a lot what what's the sort of proportion between the amount of food that you're buying for example or the amount of food that's being donated what again I, i'm sure you don't have exact figures but sort of rough splits of those kinds of things i would say probably about 75 percent of the food that we've had has come from morrison's out of the 10 million pounds they've committed to put into food banks they have been a huge supporter of what we've done and have enabled us to do what we've done very well um, when we first started the food packs were very basic it was tinned goods it was um dried rice, dried pasta, 
and it was whatever we could get our hands on. Um, I don't know how many people actually were involved in procurement of food who'll be listening to this, mm -hmm. but very early on we found that it was very difficult to get uh, bulk quantities of food from anywhere because of the supply chain issues uh, during the panic buying that was happening in March. Yeah. And so we, we struggled to get what we could uh, and we've slowly developed um, what we're able to offer in our food parcel to make sure that we are actually providing not just um, food, but the most healthy food that we can. I've spoke um, a number of times with Emily about the content of the food parcel, and we have every, every major food group covered in the, each parcel. We're able to Brilliant. give um, plenty of protein, a good amount of carbohydrate. We're able to give uh, a mix of foods in there so that people are getting fresh veg now and fresh fruit. We get a regular delivery, which has been paid for by money that is held in the central fund for this by the CVS mm -hmm. to actually purchase um, several boxes of fresh fruit at the beginning of every week. Uh, we get three deliveries of fresh bread a week and we have fresh eggs, which are going in there. We also have a supply of breakfast cereal, Long Life and UHT milk, which is enabling people to get them that sort of area of their diet met as well. A lot of what we provide does depend on what we can get in, but we're able to give a, a good mix of that. We're able to give um, tinned meat and tinned fish. And most recently, the, uh, the, what we've moved on to doing is we've managed to start purchasing um, frozen foods. And so okay. each food pack will now go out with at least one bag of frozen veg, mixed veg or carrots, peas, that sort of thing. But also we're able to give them bags of frozen sausages and chicken breasts, fish fingers and things like that, which turn a, a bag of pasta and a tin of tomatoes um, into a, a real meal mm -hmm. rather than just something that you're throwing together just to uh, sustain yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's a thing that I think a lot of people have, have kind of discovered, I suppose, really, um, over the last number of weeks is that you, you know, relatively easily can take five or six different ingredients and probably make a, a, a good, a good stab at a meal, if nothing else. Um, I think that's really, really interesting to hear that at the beginning it was it was quite basic. I think you said about tinned um, foods and, and rice and pasta, but that you've gradually been able to develop it a little bit and, and sort of add to it. And I think the really one of the really um, encouraging things you said as well was even things like breakfast cereals and sort of keeping it as as maybe as usual for people as possible. So it's not as if they're getting these strange um kind of uh foods that they mightn't be used to or, or, or things that they're they're not used to having in their diet but trying to keep it as as normal as possible for people is probably a good thing in in the circumstances it's one less thing to think about and one less thing to worry about a lot of the feedback that i've heard especially from the families is that when we've been able to provide things like um popcorn chicken or fish mm -hmm. fingers for the children, or even uh, when we've had things like Capri Suns and when we've had bottled juices like um, fruit shoots and stuff donated to us, to actually be able to give them the children who are maybe struggling during lockdown, just that taste of normality, that's um, what they would normally see and normally have, uh, just gives them that little bit of a boost. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I mean, it, it's probably... I'm a big sort of advocate um, in, in other ways of food being much more than just the, the sort of the nutrients that it provides in terms of, you know, you mentioned the little packets of juice, for example, to a child. And while 
you know, you could argue that there's sugar in it. Well, if it gives the child a little bit of feeling of normality and that, you know, a little bit of a treat and whatever else, I, I think that's a really important thing. And I think that's a really valuable thing as well, especially when, you know, um, their their whole routine is thrown at the moment and everything is, uh, most things are quite up in the air and everything. So so I think that's that's really important and, and probably shouldn't be overlooked in how important that is as well. Um, Emily, I might bring you in on this. So I, I know as well that, that we spoke about... um this idea, uh, this this project that you were involved in and that you ran, I think, um, about people growing through themselves. Um, so do you maybe want to tell us a little bit more about that, about um, was it stay at home, grow your own? Yeah, exactly right. So I, I think like all of us, um, when COVID first started, I was trying to adapt and think of how I could adapt um, my ways of working for public mm-hmm. health delivery, whether that's pro- program or project delivery or just information provision um, and under the restrictions um, for social distancing and lockdown I, I was really wrecking my brain trying to think how can I commission or set up a project that can encourage healthy lifestyles and behaviours with all of the restrictions that were imposed so I thought home growing would be and gardening would be a good start as not only is it physical activity um, as it was obviously considered the form of exercise that you were allowed to do yeah. um, at the start, but also with growing your own, as we know, that can lead to healthier um, and more fresh and more nutritious cooking and um, preparation of food and also understanding what you're eating and obviously the benefits of sustainability too. So I got in touch with Aberton Rural Training, who are a Live Well partner um, of our Malden District Health and Wellbeing Board. And they're an organisation that are based throughout Essex that run and deliver a number of gardening um, programs for a number of residents throughout Essex and that were previously commissioned by our Live Well board. So I called the chief exec there and their fundraising manager and we just discussed how great gardening is and growing your own is at the moment (laughs) and between us put together a bit of a project plan of how we could support some of our residents in need at the moment as so many residents have been supported either through the government food parcels, through the CCG, through the CBS, through central government, so many different levels of support. But there were a couple of groups that I was worried that might not either be identified as needing support or getting the direct support for for health and wellbeing, such as individuals with mental health issues or physical health condition or experiencing financial difficulty. So or our key workers. So I was particularly um, kind of motivated to make sure that this project supported some of those groups. Um, Hence where the Stay at Home Growing Your Own pack came from, as we thought that, well, we can make up these packs with the public health funding available that each local authority gets in Essex from Essex County Council. We can deliver it, providing we are compliant with social distancing regulations and kind of volunteers all clued up on all of the health and safety hygiene protocols that Sarah had put together. So we were confident that we can deliver a project that is compliant with lockdown regulations, but also will have great benefits to health and well-being. Um, so once these packs were kind of identified of the potential, Art got in touch with a number of local gardening centres and farm shops, mm-hmm. um, and they built a partnership with Tom's Farm Shop, um, which are based uh, in our district. And he agreed to make up a number of these packs and deliver them to our residents. So we started with just 50 um, and sent out the application form to the groups that I mentioned. So specifically for key workers, individuals with a mental or physical health condition or 
an individual or family experiencing financial difficulty at this time. I've really had no idea what the popularity or demand would be. Hence why we just started off with 50. And like I said, commissioned by the public health budget that we have at the council. And within a few hours, I think it was five, um, 68 applicants um, applied for a pack, exceeding the initial 50, um, which was amazing. And I then thought, okay, there's clearly a demand here. So um, I then resourced additional funding from Active Essex, who are an organisation under Essex County Council, and also our three primary care networks that are sit under the clinical commissioning group. And quite excitingly, they, at the start of this year, um, received a community wellbeing fund. And I thought that this would be a good chance because that fund hadn't been spent or agreed. So I thought that would be a good way to work together on a shared priority as that doesn't always happen within the clinical and public health space. Um, and both organisations agreed to support the project, which was fantastic. And then within a day, we had 250 packs then agreed and we could reopen the application form. Um, so, yeah, that's the background of the project. We've allocated all of our packs now. And next week, we will be delivering the remaining 50 um, with support from Sarah's wonderful team of volunteers. And um, so, again, another partner that we've brought along to this project. Um, mm. It's just been such a good example of everyone working together to improve health, improve like, and encourage healthy eating, physical activity, family-friendly activity for those in our district of greatest need um, mm. and hope that that continues we've now got a Facebook group and um, I shared with um, a number of like John Sarah and Ben all earlier and um, where we we're asking people that receive a pack um, which has seeds compost instructions and gardening tools to, to share their photos videos and comments with us so that we've got a bit of legacy with the project and a bit of a a growing movement so it doesn't stop when you receive your pack we want to be a district that encourages growing your own food understanding where food comes from cooking from scratch having knowing about nutrition and health being active spending time with your family so it's it's an ongoing um kind of campaign and movement from the project that, that's fantastic I just into that a little bit of course, yeah, go for it. What's really interesting is that um, because we're classed as key workers, my wife and I actually are recipients of one of these Grow Your Own packs. And it's been amazing for watching my two young boys, they're two and four, get involved with actually this process of growing it. And I hope you've seen my photographs, Emily, that I did put up earlier today. We currently, yeah, have, brilliant. We currently have 24 little pea plants that my two-year-old will go out and inspect every morning. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic and I, I was I was going to say like the um I, I hold my hand up and say I know nothing about gardening at all but um I imagine what you know the, your kids for example John that you mentioned and all these various families and, and key workers people with uh, mental health conditions that you mentioned Emily what they're getting from it in terms of okay the tangible product of, of the food itself is is probably I don't know, 10% of the, the value of the whole project in terms of it's a new skill. It's like you said, Emily, getting out in the fresh air, a bit of exercise. And I think the, the, the idea of the Facebook group and sort of the morale that that's going to build, hopefully, um, and, and a feeling of, again, the community, togetherness, all those kind of things is probably pretty immeasurable, but invaluable, if that makes sense. And to 
you know, um, I don't want to at all say that um, that that COVID has been an opportunity, but I suppose we have to look on the bright side of of things when they do pop up, and hopefully, this is something. Do you see? Do you see this, for example, being something that you can kind of continue afterwards? That that you might be um, putting more of a focus on on gardening and and growing growing your own and and eating your own then afterwards. Absolutely, and I think firstly, you've touched on such a great point from the project that the benefits and kind of outcomes that it's brought from a pot of budget that is specifically for public health, what we've managed to do with that has so many benefits, not only the benefits for physical health, mental health, kind of healthy intake, but also the community spirit and that outcome now we've got with that community group on Facebook. And there's, there's so many benefits. As part of um, when you build your pack, if you build it as per the instructions that are given in it, you can get a third of a qualification and with art oh, okay. to, and it's, I don't know the exact title, but it's some form of gardening qualification. And then when we think about the wider determinants of health and employment, education, there's so much that can, can literally grow from this project. Um, and then your, your question about taking it forward, absolutely. And we're looking now with the organisation and our children's service and the, the, the service commissioned by county to look at how we can develop a growing program as we've got a couple of grow beds um, that were commissioned for a, a project last year that Ben was involved in um, and, and then are not now being used. So mm. we're looking at, okay, we've got a captive audience. The community have shown interest in this project as so often we think we know what the community want or we'll set up a public health intervention that we think people want. But we've clearly seen now that well, demand has been so high. Most of the 250 have been families. So there clearly is that, that interest and demand for growing. So we're now going to look at an um, eight-week Grow Your Own program. So it just enhances what people might have learned and enjoyed. And like you say, a new skill, a new chance to spend time with family um, and kind of make that bigger and better by actually establishing a program. Um, which I think will, will bring a whole new dimension to the project. Um, and like I say, said before, the legacy of just the online community of yeah. people, and people are writing to each other as well, asking for tips. Um, mm. One lady shared a page that had gardening tips. I'm going to share details of a Grow Your Own webinar. So I think, like I say, if, if in the district we are a big um, advocate for sustainable living, kind of healthy eating, growing of your own, I think that can only be one of the, few good things that has arisen from covid that we've learned that we're a growing community absolutely and and sometimes it's unfortunate to admit it but maybe sometimes you need a bit of hardship for people to, to kind of pull together and for people to to form that community and that sort of morale and spirit and all that kind of thing but it sounds fantastic and i think it, it sounds like um the the potential growth and the potential outcomes benefits everything you want to say about it is going to far outweigh I, I would say the cost of putting something like this together but also what what you could probably even write down on a sheet of paper if you tried to try to list the benefits and um, Ben I, I, I want to bring you in on this a little bit because um we've heard a lot about the wonderful things that are going on as I understand you're involved for coordinating a lot of this and a lot of these efforts and things and I suppose from from the point of view of, of that coordination how difficult is it at the moment with with everything that's going on bearing in mind you know we, we have the obvious um issue of the the virus itself and people being unwell but then all of these various moving parts which are probably moving in slightly different ways than they would have been 
um, 10 or 12 weeks ago, however long we need to go back. How difficult has it been in terms of coordinating everything um, at a local level and then also at, uh, at, at, a, at a higher level as well? Um, yeah, so I think similarly to Sarah, I think Sarah and I have got very similar but um, different roles, if you like. And firstly, I'd probably like to just touch on um, something in terms of the food parcels, which John um, has been getting out. And I think, Sarah, the, the, the speed and the process and the efficiency of this coordination, I think, has been absolutely exceptional. Where we've had cases um, where the government food parcel has been delivered to what we define um, in Essex as a category A um, individual who is especially high risk. So they may have had um, an organ transplant um, or who may be undergoing active chemotherapy or radiotherapy yeah. where either a food parcel has or has not been delivered the speed and the process um, that this sort of project management and process really sort of driven approach has worked and come into its own. And I think um, it, if I'm right, John, is it under 12 hours that a, a parcel will be um, issued once there is that need identified for the food to be put out we to the have, families? We have two channels that they can come through. So we have the regular channel, which um, if somebody phones up today, we can have a food parcel on their doorstep tomorrow, which would be the general way of wanting that to go through. Uh, we also have an urgent scheme where we can respond um, outside of that for someone who has, say, no food in their cupboard, we can get almost an immediate response to them, providing it comes in at a reasonable time. Um, if it comes in towards the end of the 8 p.m. and cut off on the phone line, it'll be picked up first thing the next day. But if we get something, say, before lunchtime, we can have a food parcel with them within a matter of hours. So I think that's, James, that's something that's really um, been um, something to show off about in Molden um, is really the speed and the efficiency of our um, response, which we are I was going to say, to that's, do, in, that's incredible kind of response time. You would, you would, I mean, you wouldn't get that from, you barely get that from a supermarket if you paid them. Yeah, to, it, to, it, to it. It, exactly. So it's absolute testament and in terms of that, um, the, the complexity in terms of multiple projects running at once is absolute testament to all of the volunteers, to Sarah, John, Emily, for everyone who has been involved because it would not be possible um, for this sort of really efficient process to have been built without everybody's sort of um, shared burning desire to absolutely support the residents of um, yeah. Molden districts. But really, I think a lot of it has, uh, and Emily touched on it, is a lot of the communication has been absolutely key. So um, I'm, I was sort of sitting between the communication between um, us and Essex County Council. So any questions or queries that we may have, we try and escalate it up to Essex County Council, who then... Um, escalate that to the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government and then back down, albeit it is a slow process, um, yeah. it is needed and where, for example, um, we, we initially started uh, 12 weeks ago with um, a list of um, Category A residents about uh, the start of last week, we then received another um, 475 plus. So even though we are 12 weeks in now um we are still in a in a state of um uncertainty and as more residents are identified to be a category a it's still um channels and changes the direction of conversation um that is had but i think that that communication has been absolutely key and whether that's been with our local um parish and town councils or whether it's been um just on our 
general catch-ups that we have each week is just that real opportunity uh, and I think as the, we have a population of around um, 66,000 I think so we are a, a relatively small district but very very rural district mm-hmm. um, but the the proximity uh, and the connectivity in terms of social connectivity um, is second to none in, ter- in comparison to the rest um, of Essex so actually enabling um, sort of the the, uh, the 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 acts of kindness and the speed of delivery um, and the connecting the volunteers together I'm sure um, Sarah and John and Emily will say that it's it's nothing like um, anywhere else in Essex uh, and that has really enabled us to get get the things done that that we have been able to get done and um, whether it's coordinating with our local clinical commissioning group to get simple things like what is the um, change in GP hours over the bank holiday weekend out or whether it's um there's been lots of government agencies there's been lots of Essex County Council agencies phoning our residents asking them if they need support whether they need help and it and it has been confusing for a lot of residents and it's what Sarah touched on earlier about people were concerned whether it's fraudulent or whether it was genuine and that has really we have come into our own in terms of working together um, in that sort of coordinated approach um, to get things done and we've managed to set up relationships with um, pharmacies to get medical supplies so I think there are so many aspects to it but it has just we are really now working as a well-oiled machine. I just want to echo what Ben said really that actually the the way that the barriers between agencies and organizations has come down has been incredible to watch Mm. and I think testament to that is the work that Sarah has done in connecting us all enabling us to use the um, the database that they have access to has enabled us to get that information flow between agencies Mm. whereas if we'd been relying on emails that would have broke down a lot faster um, the thing is, we've got access to this system that enables us to pass information between each other very quickly to respond immediately to whatever needs there are in the area. And I'd just say that it's, sure, it's yeah. been a real pleasure for us as a CBS to be able to facilitate that because what I was saying earlier about me getting the negative feedback, I, as a call handler, as I do my students taking the calls, it is really, really lovely to see how things work really well. I was at home um, a few weeks ago and somebody phoned at, I want to say around three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, having just eaten the last tin of beans in their house on a slice of multi bread. Within two hours, that person had a food supply. Mm. You know, it was, and they had mental health support in place as well. You know, so it was straight away we knew that that person needed to be um, put in touch with a befriender and they needed emergency food supplies and you know it was it was all there and I you know while you're talking to him you can reassure them and say don't worry I can get you that I can get you this that's fine we can handle it and it and this is testament to all of the goodwill in the community with the volunteers but also the goodwill of all of the organizations who as as John said dropped all of the business as usual boundaries maybe some of the competitiveness you know that goes on and just focused on the shared goal of get support to where support needs to be and make sure that nobody in Malden in our district is left wanting you know Malden district as I've said it before corona and I'll probably keep saying it after (laughs) Malden district does partnership working really well We, we always have done but we have the district itself and everybody in it should be very very proud of themselves as to what they've pulled together and um, to be able to support people and um, some of the stuff that we've done 
being able just to be able to be able to respond to complex needs to people who don't fit in a box for want of a better term yeah. so if we say for example um our services are food parcels and prescription delivery well if somebody we identified quite early on that a food parcel isn't right for everybody we need to sometimes look slightly differently at things for people and, and be more bespoke where we can and because we have that infrastructure behind the scenes that is a well-oiled machine to use ben's words it allows us to look at the detail and look at individuals and like as i said at the beginning retain their dignity and independence yeah so that they're not just a beneficiary and a, and a passive recipient but they're a valued member of the community i think that's such a good point sarah just to come in on what you um you obviously struck the relationship with a provider that make nutritious microwave meals i don't think we've given any out yet but we just to emphasize what sarah is saying that flexibility and individuality of people's needs we are really trying to cater for them we're, we're trying to do the same with our holiday support program that we're organizing in the district with going to families to ask what support they specifically want like i said earlier not what we think that they want and this is specifically for food provision and um, so we're currently running a survey to ask families do they want um, nutrition education do they want cooking classes do they want a hot meal a food hamper a school voucher not a school voucher a supermarket voucher so we're really trying to find that multiple um, solutions and we appreciate that one size doesn't fit all and um, even just with food provisions so that's what i think an approach that we're going to try and use even more moving forward that community abcd based approach yeah i, I mean i suppose for, from the point of view of somebody sort of um what do i say the, the anchor of this conversation it's 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 fantastic when uh you all start sort of bouncing off each other and it's really interesting to see how that works and I mean I don't know anything about Malden specifically as a district but it seems as though you're all working towards the right ideas the same goals and if even coming from it from slightly different places you know there there does seem to be that really strong sense of community and I can see how this would and has clearly kind of filtered down into the community and probably has come from the community as well um, there's a couple of things that I think are, are really interesting that you've all kind of talked on, uh, talked about there. So, Emily, you just mentioned asking families what they actually want, not being prescriptive about things and not saying, you know, we're we're in charge and here's the charity we're going to give you. But actually, look, what can we do? What can what can we do to make things better? Is it like you mentioned, nutrition, education, cooking classes, all that kind of thing? The It's so encouraging to hear about all the goodwill in the community you've all kind of touched on it once or twice about people sort of i suppose looking after their own and and that's not always a popular thing to say now because i think it, it has certain connotations in one sense but it it just means kind of all crowding in together and helping each other out when when needs be um and also the the, the thing about the communications having to be quite clear and i suppose that's that's one thing that i think um governments and organizations right across the world have struggled with in in the coronavirus crisis um is is the um having effective communication that people can take on board because it is look this is this is new for everyone you know and and there's a lot of complex things being spoken about in the news and in the media and things and really for most people um they need simple messaging and and by most people i include all of us in that i don't i don't mean that as in a 
a sort of a, a snide or, or snobby way by, by any means at all. Can I just say, James, I completely agree with that point about the importance of clear and consistent communication, and particularly for nutrition science and healthy lifestyle advice. There's always so much information um, that gets bombarded on social media um, or on websites. And it's so important, as always, that this is not only evidence based, but also at this time, in a time of so much information, it's clear, consistent and to the point. And I've really tried to adopt this approach at the council with my comms and lifestyle advice, whether that's healthy eating or physical activity. So as a couple of examples, I made a printed leaflet that was posted to every household in the district as whilst I was creating daily social media content about healthy eating and nutrition and keeping active and mental health. I know that that doesn't um, reach every audience. Whereas if you know that there's a printed leaflet that's going to go to every single household with clear, concise information, it was eight pages. It covered key contacts, mental health support, um, nutrition advice, tips to keep active and and just real digestible bite-sized chunks of information. I thought that covering both the social media and printed comms was um, important and the urgency of this was um, really rare and unique to how we normally work and as I I do get out a lot of healthy lifestyle comms but but nowhere near to the degree and quantity as as I did through this time and making resources too and thinking innovatively so I made a resource with the um, free school meal budget of three pound of what um, well it's 15 pound a week but then three pound per day what are some of the meals that you can make with this just again responding to what you think that the community want and then telling us as well what lifestyle advice do they want best we've now run a comm survey on moving forward what information format would they like has it been social media has it been the printed survey and again responding to to their needs so i just thought that would be good to touch on yeah definitely and i I think you know in probably in all areas of of life and all areas of science and everything but i suppose particularly in nutrition it's something that i'm aware of at least is there is a lot of um misinformation and there's also a lot of noise not necessarily misinformation but just difficult concepts and lots of information thrown at people so i think the clear concise consistent messaging for people is is always a good thing and is is so important um you know, it's it's better to give a couple of points and get them actually heard and understood than trying to bombard people and give them the the perfect intervention or whatever it might be. And I know Emily as well. You've you've done some work with the the NEDPRO COVID task force as well um, on a bit of the the healthy eating and and nutrition tips. So maybe we can we can link that in the in the show notes or the the description to the the show as well. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'll send through the materials that I've made and that also wow. I've become aware of because everybody's been so collaborative um, throughout this time. And I've, there's a lot of great websites and infographics, etc. that I've been made aware of. That I'll share too. Brilliant. That sounds brilliant. I'm conscious of time and I know there's um, a couple of you have, have meetings to, to run uh, to run to very shortly. So um, I have one last question and it's kind of an open question. Feel free to, to jump in um, if, and, if and when you want to. Um, what can people do if they're listening to this either in Malden or in different um, 
districts around the country or around the world, whatever that it might be, what would you say as, as people who are working at the front front line of this um, on the ground in the community? Because we often hear about the key workers in hospitals and in care homes and things, and obviously they're fantastic at what they do, but perhaps the work that, that's going on in the community isn't given quite as much focus. If, if I, for example, want to help out in my local area, what kind of advice would you give to people or what kind of things would you be asking for people to do? Is it volunteer with their local um, council? Is it getting involved in charities specifically? Or what kind of things would you say to people from, from that point of view? And that's a very open question. Can I come in on that quickly? Because I am going to jump off in a minute because I do sure. need to be somewhere else. Um, what I would say is I strongly recommend that you talk to your local voluntary sector infrastructure. If they're not delivering something in your area, they will know who is. And, and then, then you'll be able to help knowing that there's a structure behind the help that you're giving and that the support that's needed is there. And on another um, very quick note, I would say that it's really important at the moment to be kind and respectful to people. Not that it isn't usually, mm-hmm. but some people are having very difficult time at the moment. Anxiety levels are high, um, mental health issues are high, and sometimes that means that you might speak to someone abruptly or come across um, as difficult or cross. But nine times out of 10, it's coming from a place of worry. So it's really, really important when we're supporting people in the community to be understanding and kind, because we just don't know what difficult journey they're having at the moment. And everyone's having a difficult journey. So my headline is just be kind and respectful. Absolutely. And it's actually funny enough, it's something that's come up in other podcasts that we've done about coronavirus, whether it's talking about um Uh, food environments in India or life in ICU I think a lot of people have touched on the idea of just being kind and just looking out for each other in that as well so definitely Sarah thank thanks for that um anybody else that wants to add to, to that about how people can help or what you would ask ask people to do or advise people to do I would say one of the most important things is don't try and do it on your own Mm-hmm. that there is a huge strength and huge strength in community response and whether it's an organization or an individual when we strike out on our own we hit barriers that we can't overcome when you're working together with other people you're able to call on each other's strengths you're able to support each other and i think for me this is what's been incredible about being part of this is i'm new to Malden district i've been here nine months and I've been welcomed into an amazing um, community. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't tapped into that community when the Salvation Army was looking at its response to launch here in Malden, we would have very quickly um, reached our limit. We wouldn't have been able to provide half the food that we've been able to provide. We wouldn't have had the volunteers. It's by pooling the community resources, pooling the expertise from people like Sarah, Emily and Ben and so many others that we've got. I think of uh, one man, Ralph in particular, who's one of our volunteers who's worked with Samaritan's Purse and his advice very early on from working in um, disaster relief all around the world was invaluable to getting started. And this is all stuff that we wouldn't have had if we tried to do it ourselves. And so if I'm going to copy Sarah and kind of have like a headline, it's use your community and use your community strength because if you look at that then you'll find so much more than you ever thought was possible definitely i suppose like 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 a lot of things when you have um that synergy within the community you you often end up with with something that's um 
a lot more than just the sum of its parts. So I, I think that's a, a, a great thing to, to touch on as well. Um, ben and Emily, any any thoughts on, on or anything that you would like to kind of leave people with? Um, I think really just for me, it's the, the behaviour change, the positive behaviour change, which we have seen in terms of people's appreciation of the, the smaller things in life and whether it be people finding more innovative ways to be active at home just to maintain that and keep that momentum going forward. I think that that will be really, really um, important. And I think like everybody's said about sharing and partnering and collaborating, share what you're doing. If you are thinking innovatively, even if you've cooked your new meal or you've walked at a different time of day or you've done anything different to either be healthy or be more connected or do anything, share it with people. And people will be so happy to hear of it, whether it's like John and Sarah have said, reaching out to your community or whether that's on an online group. We've seen so many social media pages that have been set up throughout COVID and that that is intimidating for some and that won't meet everyone's preference but it will meet a lot and that sense of community has been really evidenced on these online platforms so I think a message reach out if you've done something different tell people because people might have done the same or they might have ideas and particularly with the the healthy lifestyles ideas it's been amazing to see people like Ben said exercising differently at home I've got my kitchen chair right now on my table is a standing desk and people have done all sorts of wonderful things that it's just lovely to share and tell other people about so I think yeah reach out to others as much as you can throughout this time and tell them of the brilliant work and ideas that you've got 100% and I suppose again that's that's part of the the benefit of doing this podcast hopefully is that it can showcase a lot of the work that that each of you are doing individually but obviously all working towards the the same mission and like I said there a couple of minutes ago I think you know the the frontline NHS staff for example are rightly so getting the credit that they deserve for all the work that they're doing but I think sometimes there are the sort of um the hidden heroes if you like and and I hope none of you will be insulted by me calling you that um, because what I really mean is that you are all working in an area that is very difficult very new for all of you in, in many ways I'm sure um but but making a real tangible difference and I'm sure that the people in in your community will appreciate it now and I'm sure that will only increase as as time goes by and as hopefully we get back to again some sense of normality when people get the chance to reflect on on all the work that that you have put in over the last number of weeks and and probably um months and and, and going forward as well so thanks. I think that's a really good point Jack. I was just gonna say I think yeah go ahead yeah, yeah particularly for the council because I think a lot of people think that and um, the council just does the statutory functions and you know collect the bins um, like ask for council tax which obviously we do and it's a very important part of the council's mm-hmm. role but now that public health the responsibility and delivery of public health sits with local authority and in Essex how that looks is that there is public health representation in each lower tier district local authority which is Malden for us and um, they I don't think realise that there is that role of the council um, and it's a great one as it enables me to run projects like Grow Your Own and have the budget to do so. And um, so I think, yeah, like re-educating people to know that the council also does health improvement, healthy lifestyles as well. Um, and, and like all other organisations, they have a lot more um, roles to play than what I think the public always know about. Definitely. And I, I would put myself 
firmly in that category of the public in terms of I'm blown away by by what you've talked about in in an hour so I'm sure if we were to able if we were able to sit down and do a full podcast series on everything in the ins and outs of what all of you are doing um, we'd be here for a long time yet so thank you uh once again I think I think Sarah and Ben have both um had to leave but uh Emily and John who are still left thank you both so much for and to to, to Ben and Sarah as well um for for coming on and having a chat and also just for everything that you're doing because I, I think um I, I it can't be said um too many times that, that you are making a difference and that that's having a huge impact on on your various communities as well so so thanks again So thanks once more to Emily, to Sarah, to John and to Ben for joining me and, and having a really interesting conversation. Like I said at the beginning, lots of variance in terms of their own backgrounds and their own interests, where they're coming from with this crisis. But great to see the um, all aspects of the council and its various partner organizations working together in um, very difficult times for everybody, of course. So again, if you've enjoyed the episode, please do share it with people. We are very keen for this to reach far and wide and, and for anyone who might benefit from this or just enjoy listening to it. If you have feedback for us, then please do obviously give us feedback. If you want to rate and review the show wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud, that's also very helpful for us. And if you're interested in NedPro more generally, then please do get in touch or visit our website. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. And also we're in the midst of organizing a lot of our educational events at the moment. At the moment. So we're running webinars. We've got our summer school in applied human nutrition, which will be coming up in September time. That will be an online event, as well as our international summit in medical nutrition education and research as well so if you're interested in any of those things please do get in touch or follow uh, links on the website and until the next episode thank you very much for listening and i'll speak to you soon